In his letter to Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul tells us to live lives worthy of the God who calls us into his kingdom and his glory. Today we continue to think of the glory of God that was revealed in the events of Epiphany and continue to be revealed among us. And as we come before God uh, to worship, let's begin with a prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, our Savior Jesus, who is the light of the world. Grant that your people may shine with the radiance of his glory, that he may be known and worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth. He who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. If you're able, we stand to sing. Uh, the hymn, My Jesus, My Saviour.
Elizabeth go through and see if there's any children through there. Uh, if not, she'll be back in a minute. And uh, while she's doing that, let us continue in our service of worship and let us pray. Lord our God, your blessings are plentiful. Your mercies are abound. Lord Jesus, you watch over us night and day. And you keep us safe, Lord. You keep us near. You still the heavy waters around us. You still our hearts. You still our souls, our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And when we call on your name, Lord, you are here. You're with us forever. We will say that you are our Lord and Savior. You are the Almighty and the most wonderful God, unsearchable and inexhaustible, greater than we can ever imagine, higher than our highest thoughts, enthroned in glory and splendor. And we come to give you our worship. We come to offer our praise. We come to make our confession, recognizing that your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us our misplaced pride and arrogance. Often we're full of our own importance, preferring our own ways to yours, imagining that we know all there is to know about you. We trust in our own wisdom instead of trusting in your guidance. Sometimes we set ourselves up in your place, but your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us our narrow vision and closed minds. We've brought you down to our own understanding and we've closed our hearts to anything which challenges our restricted horizons. Too often we lose sight of your greatness and we fail to listen to your voice or the voice of others, refusing to accept that others besides ourselves have insights to share. And it's so clear that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts, not our thoughts. Lord, have mercy upon us. Almighty and most Wonderful God, remind us that you always have more to say, more to reveal, more to do. Open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to who and what you are. Remind us that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts, not our thoughts. Lord, have mercy upon us. And so fill us with awe and wonder with joy and thanksgiving, with praise and worship, now and forevermore. This we pray in Jesus' name, and so we join our hearts and we join our voices as he taught his followers to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, one or two, uh, one or two notices before we turn to God's word. Uh, firstly, as well as our service today, we have our congregational prayer time on Monday evenings. That happens online using Zoom, and uh, we start that at 7.30. And if you've never tried it before, there's a link on our church website, keithparishchurch.org forward slash prayer, and click that link that's on that page, and it'll set up Zoom and, and connect you to the prayer time. Uh, you can join in. You don't have to say anything. You don't even have to appear on camera. You can switch your camera off, but uh, folks will know that you're there and, and praying along. Uh, so prayer time on Zoom, Monday from 7.30. Tuesday morning, uh, Songbirds happens uh, through in the small hall, Tuesday at half past ten, and then on Wednesday this week, our guild meets um, 1.30 for two o'clock, two o'clock start for uh, the guild, and I think Bill, you're talking, here's Bill, Bill's talking this week, I think, yeah, you're on this week, good, so that's uh, uh, guild at two o'clock on Wednesday. Thursday evening, Brass Central, Strathairn, uh, uh, meet to rehearse here in the in, in the St Andrews building, um, and uh, that's our week ahead. And then we we'll gather for on Sunday uh, for more worship next week. Well, let's uh, let's read God's word. And this morning I'm reading from the uh, book of Colossians, Colossians chapter one, and beginning at verse fifteen. Paul speaking of the supremacy of the Son of God. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. That's what we were thinking about last Sunday. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of or as shown by your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I Paul have become a servant Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word. 
May your word be a rule of life, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your great glory our chief concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ever-loving God, we, as we give thanks for your word, so too we give you thanks for the blessings of this and every day. May you accept not just the offerings of money which we make week by week, month by month, and in other ways. The things that we give here when we come to worship and which we give in other ways, but also the gift of our lives that we might make a difference in our community here in Creef and beyond, pointing people to Jesus Christ, our Lord. This we ask through the same Jesus who lived to show your glory and yet freely offered his life that we might have life in abundance. Amen. Well, we have that free gift of God, that free uh, life in abundance, and our next song, as the band come up, uh, we'll get ready to sing Be Free in the Love of God. And then we're going to go on and look again at the start of the letter of Hebrews. So be free in the love of God.
turn to God's Word again, and we read as we began looking at the start of the letter of Hebrews last week, so again we're reading these, these verses, Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3, and we're going on to think some more of what uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, has in these few verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I wonder when, they, when was the last time you listened to someone or someone really listened to you? You know, at work situations where we're told to lead the conversation. If we use our, our phones and our computers and social media, we, we shape our personal narratives. At parties, we, we talk over one another. Politicians do that all the time. It's amazing they, they, they hear one another at all. And so often we're not listening. And it can be incredibly frustrating. We know that in our, in our family lives, don't we? If someone in the family, we're talking to them, they're not really listening to us. It's frustrating. And yet it's nothing new. When the author of the book of Hebrews was writing, uh, that person was writing to a group of Christians who, just like you and me, sometimes had a hard time listening to Jesus. And to compel us and to compel these original readers to listen, the author of Hebrews highlights, as I said last Sunday, seven messages God sends in Jesus in these three opening verses of the letter. And when so many other things try to, as it were, push their way into the space that belongs to Jesus only, Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is better than anything else. Will we listen to him? And so we began last week looking at these opening verses of Hebrews and the challenge for all of us is to listen, to listen to what God is saying to us through these opening verses of the, the, the book of Hebrews. Because even in their brevity, they speak to us an incredible message. And our greatest need is to hear from God. Now, there may be some people who go out of their way to, to, to not listen. They deliberately don't want to listen to God. And, and certainly in the Bible, we have examples of that. Just think of Jonah, who didn't want to hear God's call in his life. And he, and he ran away from what God called him to do. He sailed to the opposite end of the Mediterranean on a ship. He was thrown overboard because he recognized he was at fault. He was swallowed by that big fish and stayed in the fish three days and nights. Spewed out on the shore. And only then, reluctantly, listened and did what he'd heard God calling him to do. There are today people who consciously ignore what God is saying. But others, and, and perhaps this is the majority of people, they don't hear because they're just not listening. They're not tuned in. 
They're not trying to listen because they don't know they're meant to be listening. It's not that God has been silent. God has been speaking, as I said last week, from since the foundation of the world. And what he's been telling us all along is that he is God and we are his people. He loves us despite everything that seems to prove otherwise. We listen and we hear that God has spoken finally and fully in his Son. And we hear that God is in Jesus. God is Jesus. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus also, as we're going to explore today, is fully man. He's the complete Savior. All the Savior will ever need. Fully God. Fully man. So last week, if you remember, we listened to what God said to us through, his, through the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. As we thought on, on these words, having recognized that God is not silent, but is in fact speaking to us, what we heard first about Jesus is that Jesus is not merely from God. Rather, Jesus is God. At Christmas, when Jesus was born, God, as it were, added humanity without losing anything of his divinity. And last week, we heard four things about Jesus being fully God. We heard that Jesus was creator. Jesus is the creator. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. That Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. That Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And if telling us that Jesus is fully God wasn't enough, the writer of Hebrews, listening to God, then goes on to give us more. And says, Jesus is also fully man. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem on that first Christmas is awe-inspiring, not just because God came down. Bethlehem was, also, was certainly a, a pivotal moment in history. It's the turning point of history. We base our calendars on it. It's a turning point of Scripture too. It turns what we call the Old Testament into the New Testament. But in fact, if we read through the Old Testament, we see that Bethlehem was not the first time that God came down. For we read that God came down throughout the ages. God came and walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God came down and talked with Moses as with a friend. God was with Israel journeying with them out of Egypt, he appearing to them as a, as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's glory came down to the temple. God walked through the fire with Daniel's friends. God has come down through the ages. But what happened in Bethlehem and what really inspires awe at Christmas is because in Jesus, God came down in a new way, a better way, a fuller way. In Jesus, God came down as a man. And here in Hebrews 1, the author highlights Jesus' humanity. 
and gives us three more of these seven messages, saying firstly that Jesus is the inheritor. Verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the inheritor. And all of the best things in our culture show who God is. These things are not human inventions. They're God's gifts to humanity so that when God explains himself to us, we have categories by which we can understand God. And so when the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the heir of all things, we understand what God means. Everything the Father has, the Son has. Think of the the story of the the father and his two sons, the, the prodigal son, and the father dividing up his estate and giving it to the sons. One of them squandered what he had, but it's the act of giving what God has God the Father, God the Son also has. And although Jesus is creator, through his finished work, God has also appointed him the heir of all things. He alone, Scripture says, is worthy to inherit the Father's kingdom. So what is Jesus the inheritor of? Well, as we should always do, we look to the Bible to explain the Bible. And we can look many places, but let's, let's think, for instance, the book of Psalm, Psalm 2, where God says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Or the New Testament, Paul in his letter to the Colossians writes, For in him, in Jesus... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the inheritor. He alone is worthy to inherit the Father's kingdom. Again, in Romans 11, for from him and through him, And for him are all things. So Jesus inherits the world and everything in it. Then there's a a deeper insight that the author of Hebrews wants us to see. There's good news for us here in this statement. Because when Jesus became a man and therefore an inheritor, he brought with him the possibility of us inheriting something of God as well. And the author of Hebrews highlights this in the next chapter, in chapter 2, quoting from another psalm, Psalm 8, a psalm not about God, but a psalm about mankind, about humanity. And he writes, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That's who the psalmist says you are. It's who God through the psalmist says you are. A little while lower than the angels crowned with glory and honor, with everything put in subjection under our feet. Wait a minute, doesn't that, that doesn't quite sound 
right, does it? You probably sitting here or at home this morning, perhaps listening at another time, and you probably don't feel like you're crowned with glory and honor. I'm not ask you to put your hands up, but you probably don't feel you're crowned with glory and honor, do you? You don't see everything in subjection under your feet. You can't be like uh, Jesus on that boat on the on the lake, like Galilee, with the disciples sleeping in the in the, in, in the one end of the boat, and the disciples waking him up and saying, "Jesus, there's a storm! There's a storm! We're frightened for our lives!" And Jesus calmly stands up and commands the storm to pass. We can't tame storms. Think of that uh, volcano exploding under the water, the, the, the mighty waves going out from that epicenter, crashing onto the shores. We can't stand there and say, waves, stop. We can't even tame our heart. But Jesus can. And Psalm 8 is, is ultimately about you and me because it's ultimately about Jesus. Because Jesus inherits all things, including you, including me. And when he inherits us, he grants us faith. He places you and me in himself, and we get what he has. That's why we speak about being in Christ. We receive the blessings that belong to the Son. And that includes, amazingly, glory and honor and rule, dominion over the world. And this doctrine reminds us that every promise God has made will come to pass in and through and for his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't lord his inheritance over you, does he? He serves you with it. He gives you a portion along with him. Why? Well, it's because he loves us. He loves you. You aren't his property like a slave. You're his joy like family. How wonderful that is. You see, when we're saved, Jesus unites us to himself. And he makes us, as Paul says in, in Romans 8, co-heirs with Christ. But that happens because Jesus first united himself to us. He made himself human. He became a man. And for all the good things Jesus inherited when he came to earth, he also inherited something else. He inherited our inheritance from Adam. Now, the Bible, the gospel tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the angel appeared to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he wasn't born with original sin as we are born. We're tainted by Adam and Eve. Jesus wasn't born with that original sin, but by becoming human, Jesus willingly partook of the same things as us. He willingly took on that sin. 
And on the cross, the Father gave him an inheritance due to us. Death. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. We're already dead. And it's only because Jesus took on our inheritance that in the resurrection, he could give us the inheritance due to him. Life, everlasting life in all its fullness. He is the heir of all things. And that all things includes you. And it includes me. But to get you, to get me, he had to pay for our sins. And on the cross, he did. And so we need to listen to him. That was the fifth message of the writer of Hebrews, the sixth and the seventh. They kind of go together. For the writer says, Jesus is the purifier and the ruler. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The book of Hebrews makes a great deal about Jesus being our high priest. Sin dirties us in the sight of God. And if we are to be with the holy, the pure God, we can't just waltz into God's presence as we are. We must be cleansed. And God's appointing way for cleansing us is through the shedding of blood by the priestly sacrifices. In the Old Testament, we read again and again of these, the sacrificial system. And the priest would sprinkle the blood of a spotless lamb on the altar, symbolizing the blood of perfection that must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. But the blood of an imperfect animal could never bring about the kind of cleansing that we need. Man's sin requires man's blood. The animal sacrifice had to be repeated again and again because it was never enough. It was our blood that was demanded, but if we shed our blood for our sins, then how can we live? And God knew that, so he made another way. We can't live. Our sin is too great. Our sin against God is worthy of eternal damnation. How could we ever pay for all the sins we've committed? We can't. But Jesus can. And at Christmas in Bethlehem, Jesus became the only person ever born on a mission to die. He became the only priest ever to walk the road of the sacrificial lamb to the altar. He lived the perfect life on our behalf, obeying God every step of the way. And when he reached the end, he obeyed to the point of death on a cross. He set aside all his rights as God, and God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did not die because he was sinful. Jesus died because we were sinful. He was spotless. We are stained. He was our sacrifice. We are forgiven. By his single, once for all time offering, Jesus perfected us for all time, making purification 
for sins by his blood. What Christmas began, the cross ended. And after the finished work of the cross, Jesus then sat down in the presence of God. Now, the Old Testament priests, (laughs) they never sat down in God's presence. Their work was never finished. It was the biblical equivalent, I suppose, of painting the fourth bridge. More sin always needed more forgiving. More sin always needed more forgiving. It went on and on and on and on. But in Christ, all the sin of all God's people was forgiven once for all, and then Jesus sat down. There is no question about your salvation if you are his. And just as important as his sitting is the place of his sitting. When he had finished, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The spot of exaltation, the place of prominence. He sat down to rule the universe. And what's more amazing is that Jesus isn't sitting there as some kind of ethereal spirit. Even in death, Jesus never gave up his body. Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection. He rose in the same kind of glorified body he will one day give to all believers in the great and final day of the resurrection. Because what he is, we become. And that means there is a God-man ruling the universe. And his name is Jesus. The one who came so long ago to save his people from their sins. Unlike any of our elected earthly leaders, unlike anyone who's born into royalty, no one will vote him out. No one can depose him or overthrow him or cast him out of the ruling order. Jesus is secure. And if you're in Christ, you are as secure as he is. That is the most amazing Christmas present. We are as secure as Jesus, the Son of God, is so there we have these seven massive messages in these three short verses. It tells us that we have a complete Savior. Jesus is the creator, the radiator, the imprint of God, the upholder, the inheritor, the purifier, the ruler. But he's much, much more than that. I was looking through Hebrews and looking through uh, what the commentators have to say about God in Jesus, even in this letter of Hebrews. And here's what the rest of the letter says about him. He's worthy of worship. He's the lover of righteousness. He's the hater of wickedness. He is the everlasting conqueror of all enemies. He is crowned with glory and honor. He is the founder of salvation. He is our brother. He is the destroyer of death and the deliverer from the fear of death. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is our high priest. He is the propitiation of sins. He is our hope. He is the giver of rest. He is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
He is piercing. He is dividing. He is discerning. He is all-seeing. He is a sympathizer. He is sinless. He is the giver of grace and mercy. He is the source of eternal salvation. He is just. He is honest, unchangeable, convincing. He is the anchor of our soul. He is our forerunner. He is the king of righteousness and peace. He is the owner of an indestructible life. He is the giver of the promise. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. He is the once-for-all sacrifice. He is the purifier of our consciences from dead works. He is the giver of eternal inheritance. He is the end of the offering for sin. He is the opener of the new and living way to God. He is the repair of evil. He is the rewarder of those who seek God. He is the designer and the builder of the city that has foundations. He is the resurrection of the dead. He is greater wealth than the treasuries of Egypt. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the endurer of the cross. He is the despiser of shame. He is a discipliner, a reprover, a lover, the shaker of heaven and earth. He is the giver of an unshakable kingdom. He is a consuming fire. He never leaves and never forsakes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the equipper of everything good. He is the one who works in us. And finally, he is the recipient of honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All of that is just in 300 verses in the book of Hebrews. And that's not all, because just think what God says about Jesus in the other 28,000 or so verses in the Bible. Incredible. God has spoken to us in his Son. Are we listening? Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that you are a God who daily speaks and who daily teaches us more about yourself. You're a God who always has more to reveal to us of your love. Speak to us now and give us ears to listen. We thank you for the many, many ways we hear your voice. Through the scriptures, through the world around us, through the people we meet, through prayer and reflection, through the experiences of life, through our daily walk with you. Speak to us now and give us ears to hear. We're reminded of the way that Jesus brought new insights into ancient teaching. The way he saw behind the letter to the Spirit. The simple and yet unforgettable way he taught the multitudes. We give thanks for all that you have called to be teachers. All those who in part knowledge to others, for in so doing they share something of your wonderful creation. As we think of those who teach us, so we think of students, for we are students of your word. 
We want to think of, of students in schools and colleges as well. And at this time of prelim exams, we want to pray for our young people, people who are seeking to effectively share what they have been hearing and learning, the skills they've developed. Give them peace of mind and renewed understanding as they revise what they've heard. And as they read their exam papers, let them hear, let them know what they're being asked. Give them clarity of thought and power of recall as they communicate what they've been learning through the answers they give. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that day by day you speak to us, you teach us. Help us to be open to everything you would say. Help us to be ready to receive your instruction, to accept your guidance. Help us to have that power of recall to, to remember the things that you have said to us. Speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Save us from ever closing our ears to what we don't want to hear from becoming so fixed in our ways and our opinions that we become spiritually deaf, from limiting your, your word or denying your call through our unwillingness to learn. Save us from that. Stop our unwillingness to listen. And instead, speak to us. Give us ears to hear. This we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We get the band uh, back up to lead us in our closing song. And as we've been thinking of God revealing his glory, we ask that he too would restore all things, restore, O oh Lord, the honor of your name. Let's sing together.
Jesus is the living God. He is the one who is living here. And may the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, the ever-active Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you now and always.